Today, Michaela and I sit down and chat with Libby Zanger. Libby is a 52-year-old mother of two wild and wonderful young men, farm mom to seven horses, some sheep, two dogs, and a cat, lover of the wild, town council member in her little community, and facilitator of transformative equine glamping retreats. She has worked as a licensed mediator, an HR manager for a Fortune 50 company, an internationally certified equine-assisted learning facilitator, and a public school social-slash-emotional learning instructor. Finally, she has merged all of these experiences into creating life-changing and rejuvenating equine-assisted retreats for women. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Good morning, everybody. So Camry and I are sitting here with Libby, and is it Zanger? Is that how you say your last name? Yeah, Zanger. Uh-huh, Zanger. Cool. So we're really excited to dive into her story. Um, she said it pretty perfectly. It's kind of like midlife horsemanship <laughs> or horsewomanship um, and what it takes to really maintain horses and getting into horses kind of maybe a little bit later. Um, so I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better and share you with our listeners. She, um, Camry and Libby know each other. So I'm also excited to just hear a little bit more. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks, Libby. I think, did we meet the first time when your son came to my clinic? I feel like that was the first time, or did we meet before that? I think that might have been the first time, is with Will and uh, our wild Arab. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Do you still have her? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yep. Cute little bay mare. And she's she still just can't stand to be ridden however she is like a dog she's my girl and i ride her sister and gemini she's very verbal we can talk about her later but she's a special special girl (laughs) oh that's awesome so to get started, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you do um, professionally right now uh, and kind of what you're into. I know, didn't you recently purchase Cowgirl Secret? I did. I did. I'm exciting. so excited. Yeah, it's super exciting. So now I lead and facilitate kind of recreational and transformational retreats for women. We have one coming up in February where I've partnered with a spa in Tory. And that's going to be a really pretty special thing. But mainly I run glamping retreats for women where we interact with horses, both ridden and groundwork, enjoy the beautiful outdoors of central Utah, which is one of my favorite places on the planet. And kind of let nature do its healing job. It's, it's an amazing thing. I've worked in the past as everything from an HR director at a Fortune 50 company to have been licensed as a mediator in the state and done EEO stuff for the Postal Service, taught social emotional learning in schools, and I just kind of a varied thing. Living in a rural area, 
you have to sort of make it how you can sometimes. Absolutely. So I really want to kind of rewind and start back at the beginning and hear a little bit about your childhood. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. Okay, I just have to preface that with I had a really amazing and kind of unusual childhood. My dad was a professional tennis player. And so I spent the first few years of my life on tour with him and my mom. And that was around the world playing tennis tournaments. He's played Wimbledon. He was an Olympic player in 1968 and has a win over Arthur Ashe. And he really is an accomplished guy. <laughs> um, we lived in Puerto Rico for a couple of years where I'm guessing that's where my love of, of Spanish came from because I have no Spanish in my background, but part of me is like, I'm kind of Latin somewhere. I don't know where, <laughs> but it wasn't my, my early years weren't filled with horses. They weren't filled with barn or any of that. It was a very urban, like fun traveling way to grow up. That's awesome. I, I, oh, go ahead. I, say, I love that you got to live in Puerto Rico. I mean, was it so early that you don't remember too much of it? Or do you have some memories from that time? You know, I have snapshot memories, not, not real long-term memories. I was pretty young. We moved back when I was like four-ish, I think. And so I have, I have some memories, but again, they're just little well, snapshot memories there. I couldn't really describe the scenario, but things like lizards and a certain swimming pool and <laughs> certain cars, just little, little memories that you have when you're little. So did your dad do professional tennis, like till you were out that of the house? Uh-huh. That was his career. Wow. That is so and cool. Yeah, it was really, I didn't realize it at the time, how fortunate that example was to me of both, both him and my mom. He is Hawaiian, born in, and raised in Hawaii. And he met my mom when they were both in college. Um, but growing up, seeing someone have a passion and just seeing someone go for it when the odds are stacked, if you, if you, if you want to be a professional athlete, the odds are kind of already stacked, right? Not very many people with that vision get to make it happen. And living with that example was really valuable to me being able to see that, wow, you can have what seems like a really unreasonable aspiration <laughs> and you can do it. And it's, it's been fun transferring that a little bit hopefully to my boys and I'll probably mention them a little bit more later but they're doing the things they wanted to do when they were two or three you know one but that's an aside it was it's a really fun example and I would wish that example for anyone I would wish I for anyone well especially you know, as a girl, I have one sister. So 
as girls being able to see see somebody just doing something unusual and magical and interesting and seeing someone run for the long shot and get it <laughs> is it was pretty cool a pretty good example no, I love that. Camry and I had a discussion like this not too long ago about um, what it would be like to show your kids what it, what it means to like shoot for your dreams and to go for your dreams. And it's really cool to talk to somebody whose parents did do that, right? And the impact that it had yeah. on you. Um, do you feel like from from that experience, having your dad do that, like how has that affected you um, and how you go about your life? it's really broadened my view of what making, let me see, what's the best way from, I think it's allowed me to see someone who hasn't made a separation between making a living and making a life. I mean, for, for as long as I can remember, my dad's played tennis professionally and recreationally. Right. So when he was not playing professionally, he'd play tennis for fun, which to me, I was like, whoa, do you ever get tired of it? But when you have a passion and you you run with it, like there wasn't a separation between work and, and play so much in that regard. I really, I was really lucky in that neither of my parents gave me any pressure to do. It wasn't a pressure of, well, our family's a tennis family, so you'll you're gonna be a professional tennis player, right? I play recreationally, played on high school team, did you know mediocre, right? Enough to <laughs> it was fun, and that's about how my kids play. But the example of of not necessarily needing to suck it up personally in order to succeed professionally was was pretty huge to me. He, when he stopped playing professionally, he coached at the University of Utah for a while and at BYU for a while. He's not LDS, but, and, and he's a darn good man and fit in just, just fine. But seeing someone who didn't necessarily have to make any distinction between how he presented himself professionally, personally, interpersonally, and, and seeing that work, seeing that you don't always have an example of not always having to put on your work self, your business face, your, uh, your suit, like your, and, and I mean suit, not necessarily clothing wise exclusively, but your suit of how you are at work. There's even during tournaments, you know, he'd look up and, and wave during the tournament. There was no, there just wasn't that separation of this is who I am at work and this is who I am as a real person. And and seeing that, I think, was life-changing without even knowing that it was at the time. I just assumed that that's how everybody was. My mom was an amazing school teacher also, and just as nurturing to the kids in her class, really, as she was to us. And so I had it from, from both sides, people that weren't any different in their 
professional lives than they were in their personal lives. Their, their personalities weren't different. Neither one of them treated me differently in front of other people than they did alone. And that, that really colored my, my vision of how things could be in a really, in a good way. Yeah, it sounds like you won the parent lottery there. <laughs> I did. I did. I would definitely say that I am not, I'm not the parent I had, which, you know, it has some disappointment to it, really. But the example really helps, like in knowing that, oh, it's possible, right? It's possible. Absolutely. So I'm just curious if you don't mind asking, if, if not, yeah, just, no. just skip it over. Um, but within that, do you feel like, um, do you feel like you've had a harder time separating that like professional self and personal self when you say that? Um, not particularly anymore. But I know going into a going into professional settings as a mediator, especially when you go in as a person who's supposed to be this holder of knowledge or the person who is supposed to run the show or referee the conversation, however you want to phrase it, it's difficult not to not to become or not to act like you know more than you do or that you're in more control than you are. And getting older has really helped me understand what I think my parents knew at a younger age, which is that we're all on some level just learning. Like you, you look around and think, oh, that person knows. They appear to have it all together, right? And, and when you get down to it, we're all just learning. And we all have it together in different spots and different areas. And, and you can find an area where someone feels out of control in every single person, in everybody. There's, nobody has it all together. And internalizing that really helped me be more comfortable into going in going in situations where I am supposed to lead that I'm in, in a leadership position but going into those situations with the vulnerability of saying yeah I may be running the show but I'm I don't own the answers <laughs> I like that distinction I don't own the answers because it is you're right it is so easy yeah. to to put on that face of like, I know more than I'm, than I feel like I know, especially in a professional setting, right. you know, cause you feel like you or have that, to, you have to, or that you should, or that you're not doing your job if you don't. And then when you realize that, oh yeah, your job, part of your job might be to say, look, we're heading into uncharted territory, right? I haven't been here. Neither have you. Let's go together. Like you can, you can provide the kind of some surrogate bravery for people <laughs> in a lot of ways and in walking into tough conversations without having to have a complete map of where it's going to go. 
I yeah. love that. I relate to that a lot because I used to be terrified while doing clinics that if someone asked me something with their horse that I didn't know the answer to, it was like, right. I'm a professional. I'm supposed to know right. everything, right? Yes. <laughs> and it's, but embracing that has actually led to so much better clinics. And I actually prefer doing one-on-one or two-on-one sessions because then I get to take it exactly where it needs to go for each horse and rider and be able to find those unknowns and, and try something new and go into that uncharted territory. And it's become so fun instead of so terrifying. <laughs> so right. It adds huge fun. And the more you say the words, I don't know. And like, I don't know. And, and we're still going to keep going. I don't know, but I have some ideas and, you know, I don't know. And I have the experience to take you and let's find out together. And I can see how that goes so well with clinics because you can't, there's no way, there's no way you could walk into a clinic and be like, well, thank heavens. I know it all this time. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work that way. Life just doesn't work that way. And once no. you realize it, did you notice that everybody became more comfortable once you did? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the first clinic that I did, you guys would have laughed because I put together a bullet point list of like exactly what I would cover, like down to the minute of like, we're going to do this mm -hmm. and we're going to do that. And it's going to take 15 minutes and it's going to take this long. And yeah, it, it, that's not how I <laughs> do them anymore. <laughs> um, it, it definitely goes a lot different now. Um, and yeah, it does. It creates more just going with what needs to happen. Everyone's more comfortable because we're doing what is needed. We're not just skipping past something if a horse and or human need help with it, uh, just because that was my outline. Um, so it's it's become a lot more of a joy to just work with them in the moment and do what, what they need. I feel like horses Absolutely. are really good teachers of that. <laughs> like you can't plan, <laughs> can't plan with horses. They're just going to give you what they're going to give you and you better be able to like shift. <laughs> right. And that shift and knowing that, or not even knowing, but going into any sort of a session I've found with my horse, with a real rigid idea of what we're going to accomplish today always ends up with me feeling either ridiculous or disappointed, <laughs> or if I take those and flip them feeling like, oh yeah, I remember like this is a relationship and you don't get to run relationships or they're not equal. I mean, if you're, you can guide, you can guide a relationship with equality, but you can't really run one. And that's a lesson that's transferred over to a lot of relationships that I did learn from my first, the first horse that was mine. I am horse trainer Camry Johnson, and I have been using products from Redmond Equine for over 10 years. I want to share with you what I love about their product, Daily Gold. This product is made of montmorillonite clay, and it has over 60 trace minerals. This clay helps prevent ulcers and soothes the stomach by neutralizing the stomach acid, balancing the pH in your horse's stomach, and binding to toxins in the gut. It has made a world of difference to many of my personal horses and client horses over the years. 
I love to use Daily Gold when I haul young or nervous horses on a horse's first day in training, in colic situations, and any other high-stress situations. And I can't forget to mention my other favorite product, Redmond Rocks, the best salt and mineral rock on the market. There are no pollutants, fillers, or harsh chemicals in their products. This salt is from the Jurassic period and is mined right here in Utah. Redmond Equine is a brand I trust, and my horses don't use any other salt blocks. Visit redmondequine.com today and use code CAMRYJ20, that's C-A-M-R-I-J-20, for a 20% discount on any of their products. Um, so it sounds like, just, just reading your story, that you wrote a little bit when you were younger, but then it sounds like it wasn't didn't really stick and it took quite a while for you to get back into horses but do you want to just tell us like how did all that start for you so I did I rode a little bit and then fear got the best of me and my sister was always better at it and I just I just dropped it which is fine because you do things sometimes when you're ready to do them and I was having a really difficult time just in life. Emotionally, things, my personal life was rough. And there was this lovely older man in town who's a good, he and his wife are just good friends, like the great aunt and uncle you would wish for if you lived in a strange town and and didn't have family. And he was noticing that I was a little down, down for a while. And he said, well, why don't you come up to our house? I have something for you. And I was thinking, zucchini yay and thank you know or whatever (laughs) and I went up there and he stopped and I had admired he had these two Arabian sisters and they were beautiful two bay Arabians with little stars just like a matching team like a match set team and I had always thought they were so beautiful and by this time my son had wanted to do horses and and we had a couple of horses and we're doing 4-H with him. And so I was, he got me back into it originally. And he had said he wanted a horse and this lovely cowboy friend of ours just dropped one off one day. So bam, we're back into it. (laughs) And it, that was great. But when I went up to this man's home, he said, well, you know, you see these horses? I said, yeah, they're lovely. Like, do you have like cookies or what, what are you? <laughs> he said, well, you know, if you can train her, you can have her. And I said, I can't, but thanks. No, I thanks. And he said, no, actually you can. And he was like, I've, I've seen you with your other horse. You can. And she wasn't really handled and I didn't know what I was doing. And by, and I was 42 at that time. And at that point, I didn't know any, I knew a few people through my son's 4-H, but no one that I would have dared at that point ask for help or say, hey, you know, I'm kind of thinking of taking on this ridiculous project. (laughs) And, but it just so happened that this sounds so convoluted. My husband's co-worker's aunt was a, a horse trainer and a really accomplished <laughs> endurance rider. 
and I didn't know her. And so his coworker, who's since become a great friend of mine, as well as her aunt, who's now my business partner, she introduced me and we just clicked. Her name is Allison and she is the most wise, quiet, unassuming, badass person I know. Like she has inside her. I don't know. I don't know what powers her, but it is incredible. She is wise and quiet and unflappable and amazing. So she said, yeah, you can do that. I'll help you. And I thought, okay, like it feels like the universe is handing me something really weird, but here we go. And I was really, really scared. I was really scared. It, Arabians aren't typically big horses, and I wasn't necessarily physically intimidated by her, but she was really reactive, really touchy, really snorty, really um, sensitive to where I was walking into a round corral. Allison started me off in the round corral saying, we'll just go in there and sit there with her. So I went in there and stood there and just shook with her, just shook for the first little while. And I thought, I, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> and so Allison showed me some round corral techniques and they were very helpful. And the thing that was the most helpful was taking walks and and not ridden walks, in hand walks, matching steps, like walking your dog almost, a really big jumpy dog. <laughs> but that is probably key. Like for anyone who is who's coming to horses later in life, especially as a woman with not a lot of horse experience, in hand walking and talking <laughs> was, it was magical. It was like the magic pill. I think I have, I've probably walked hundreds, multiple hundreds of miles with this horse in hand and practicing verbal, verbal communications with her I've, I rarely have needed to use physical controls with her. She knows go right, go left, go that way. And, and walking with her quelled so much of my fear. And I was trying to figure out why, like what would, why would that make you less afraid? And I think while I was so concerned about quelling my own fear, what I was actually doing was quelling both of our fears. She was learning that I had the willingness to just take it at the pace that we were both comfortable at. She was not real comfortable with me in the beginning. I was not real comfortable with her. Neither one of us trusted that the other one wasn't just going to freak out at some point and somebody was going to get hurt, <laughs> one of the two of us. 
and learning, learning together that, no, you know, I'm not going to freak out when a car drives by closer and me learning that she's not, if she is scared, she's not going to come after me because she's not scared of me. Like making that distinction and growing closer just through the walks was so key. I was trying to think of the major, like what was the major thing that helped squish the fear because that was, it wasn't lack of resources really that was holding me back. It wasn't lack of support because I had Allison. It wasn't, it wasn't lack of any of those things. It wasn't time pressure because I wasn't on a time frame. I didn't have to have her trained and ready to go in six months, <laughs> you know, or, or anything like that. It was fear. That was the limiting factor, mine and hers. So working through that was really, it was really key. And as I talk to more women who come to horses, you know, between 40 and I was going to say 50 and then I'm 52. I'm like, well, maybe I'll bump that to 60. Between 40 and 60. <laughs> the, the main thing is fear. It's not really lack of resources in, in most of the women that I see. It's not necessarily the lack of backing, the lack of knowledge. It's the fear of the actual interaction between you and a really large animal. And, and that interaction can be physical and it can be mental, emotional too. Yeah, that is amazing. I love that you had these people in your corner that were the, yes, you can kind of people. I mean, I think that completely it, changed how this could have turned out for you. <laughs> absolutely. And another key thing is I dared to not ask anyone else, even in my immediate family, if they thought it was a good idea. I dared to do it without asking for input that way. And at 42, I still would have taken negative impact as like, well, they're probably right. They're probably right. Yeah. I've had and people in my life at certain times that have definitely been the, you can't like, you know, I was a city girl and I was like, I want to be a cowgirl. And they were like, mm -hmm, okay. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you right. know, they were just like, that's no. And, but then you do, you get those people in your corner that are the, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Who say you can, because it is really trite and really true that if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's an oldie, but goodie. Yeah. And it's, it's sprung true for me a bunch of times. I was really, really fortunate to have people show up at that time for me or to be able to make the connections. Allison never gave me a time limit or a time frame for our lessons and, and what she was teaching me how to do. And that was so helpful. And I think that's so important as an older person, especially coming into 
the horse realm is to not have the expectation that in six months, even in a year, you're going to have this magical thing happen where all of a sudden, you know, everything you're supposed to know. And so does your horse and you're like this and you ride off into the moonlight with no attack because it's awesome. And I had that vision for a little while. <laughs> and then I realized that I wasn't even ready for that. Like I wasn't ready to match my own vision and doing the background work as I did it, the walks, um, that changed what my vision was. It changed my vision from an activity, like if I'm going to be able to ride this horse to a vision of saying, I'm going to have such a solid connection with this animal that we are going to be able to do whatever we want in any given moment. And that goal became more important to me than we're going to ride this long distance race, which we did. And we totally didn't win. And we had a great time. <laughs> and, but the goal switched from an end game to a relationship and the switching of that goal was huge. I know uh, Warwick Schiller, who you, you watch, Camry, right? So he's always said relationship before horsemanship. And for me, that was like a boots on the ground thing. It wasn't just a pie in the sky idea because I didn't have the horsemanship. I needed the relationship in order to even be able to think about building horsemanship and building a relationship with this horse. Her name's Star. It's not very creative, but her sister, her sister has a star that's shaped like a diamond and her name is Jem. And Star has a star that's shaped like a blotch, but Star sounded better than blotch. So so I have Gem and Star, but building a relationship with her took a long time, you know, on the, on the course of a year or two, really, before we both felt really comfortable, before if I saw her about to do something silly or dangerous in the field, I can yell out, Star, you know, stop, wait, don't do that, and have her stop and reassess. And having that kind of a, that kind of a, I call it a magical connection, even though I don't necessarily think there's magic involved. I think there's, uh, there's time involved. There's responsiveness involved. There's responsibility involved. And it looks like magic when it's all there. Well, I think that also depends on what your definition of magic is, because to me, that sounds like magic. So, <laughs> Right. It feels like it, too. <laughs> it I, feels like it, too. It mm -hmm. does, for sure. I do have a question for you about how you were talking about shaking in fear. Mm -hmm. So do you, was there something maybe in your childhood that like your experience then with horses that made you so scared or was it just simply the horse's behavior 
um, I kind of want to go into this fear aspect with the horses a little bit. Right. So no, I've never had a traumatic experience with a horse. I've been, yeah, I've been accidentally kicked and left a big hoof print right on my ass, but, <laughs> and it hurt, but it, it wasn't traumatic. It was recognizing wrong place, wrong time. And that's a lucky learning. I've fallen many times off of the horse, but I've never felt I've, I haven't had that kind of, of fear really of the animal. I think the fear that I had the most was, I think a fear of failure, a fear of starting to make this big connection with an animal that I had not had a connection with. And for me, it seemed like a monumental thing to try and build. And the idea that here I go again, am I launching into like, am I just about to start something that is going to be the laughing stock of my family for years? Like, am I just about to step into this huge thing that later someone's going to be like, and then she thought she could do this. Oh. <laughs> you know? And that, that was the crux of the fear. It wasn't necessarily a fear of getting hurt or a fear of the animal. It was a fear of failing at the unknown, like a fear of being a laughing stock, a fear of being too old. You, know, you go and see the junior barrel racers, right? And, and then compare that to someone trying to build a relationship to me at 42, I, I had a fear of being seen as ridiculous. Like what's this woman doing trying to be a kid on a horse? Like how, what? So a lot of it was a fear of failure. Like the fear of starting and trying something brand new to me that maybe isn't seen as like an age appropriate hobby. <laughs> I, I'm also a knitter. That is an age appropriate hobby, <laughs> but, but I think that fear was mostly, let's see, probably fear of humiliation, fear of failure. Like those two things, fear of being seen as ridiculous. Yeah. So just to help you feel like you're not alone in that, my father-in-law, um, I think you might've met him when you were over here once. Um, he did not start team roping until he was 58. So you're not alone. <laughs> that, makes, that makes me happy. It makes me happy that people in the world are willing to do it, are, are willing to step out of your comfort zone because once you hit 40 or 50, for a lot of people, life's pretty comfortable, you know, and yeah, you might want to try something new, like painting, you know, kind of something low risk. But if you're starting something new that involves another being, the risk feels higher to me. The, the risk of failure feels bigger, like you're not only going to 
possibly potentially mess up yourself, but another living being at the same time. <laughs> and that, that potential feels a little bit like parenthood, like where you think I'm just trying so hard to make it, to make whatever I mess up on at least fixable through therapy. And I think that, I think that with, with horses, or at least in my experience, I have found these majestic animals to be so flexible and so forgiving, yet not ultimately forgiving in a lot of ways. I, I find that with Star and my experience with her sister, that these two horses are just a little bit more sensitive, just a little bit more if I make a wrong move and they sense that I don't realize I've made, made a wrong move, they both will take pains to help me learn that. And, and I appreciate that. I, I was trying to think, because I knew we'd be talking about midlife horsemanship, <clears throat> if I would recommend a reactive or not reactive horse for a first time horse person. And there are so many pros <clears throat> on both sides that I don't, I don't know. I am so grateful that this man gave me a really sensitive reactive horse because it allowed me to hone my skills in the signals that I'm sending down to the most minute things, down to where I'm facing, down to if I'm angry, if I stomp my foot or if I don't, you know, just these little tiny, tiny signals. And then it helped me pay attention to those tiny signals that I send in other areas of my life. Whereas I also have been working with a couple of Mustangs who are much less reactive and that they require bigger signals. They require bigger messages a lot of the time, especially at first. But I'm, I'm really grateful for the lesson that sensitive horses teach us for the lessons. I'm Camry Johnson, owner and founder of J Family Equine in Monroe, Utah. I am a horse trainer, clinician, and coach who helps horses and humans work together with trust, confidence, and synergy. I have a passion for helping horse owners find confidence in themselves and their equine partners. In my programs, I teach you to work with your horse in a way that builds your relationship with your horse while still expecting consistency and performance. I do this through full-time horse training with weekly lessons provided for the owner through in-person lessons with you and your horse, through virtual lessons, and through clinics or distance lessons. If you want me to come to your location for lessons or a clinic, all you need to do is gather up a few participants, provide a facility, and call or email me to discuss pricing and availability. For more info on how to contact me and what programs I offer, please visit utahhorsetraining.com. Let's get you and your horse working together with trust, confidence, and synergy. Are you a dedicated horsewoman looking to boost your strength and confidence while involving your horse in your fitness journey? 
Welcome to Mac Athletes, where we specialize in empowering horsewomen through fitness and nutrition while integrating your horse into the process. Our tailored coaching program is designed exclusively for passionate horsewomen like you. We focus on building strength, resilience, and confidence, both in and out of the saddle. We understand the unique connection between rider and horse, and we've crafted a program that leverages this bond to enhance your overall fitness and well-being. At Mac Athletes, we don't just offer workouts and meal plans. We offer an experience, a transformative journey where you and your horse work together towards your fitness goals. Our expert guidance, personalized workouts, and nutrition plans are all aimed at helping you become a stronger, more confident rider while prioritizing a healthy lifestyle. Join us and take the reins in your fitness journey. Embrace workouts that involve your horse, nutrition plans tailored towards your needs, and expert guidance focused on elevating your performance as a rider. Visit MacAthletes.com or follow me on Instagram at Michaela underscore Lyman to discover how we can help you build strength, confidence, and a deeper connection with your horse through our specialized coaching program. Let's ride towards a healthier, more empowered you together. Yeah, sensitive horses can be tricky, especially for first-time horse owners, and I feel like Here's another lottery winning thing for you, your friend, Allison, who helped you. And the fact that she had you start with all of this small stuff, I think that's why you haven't been hurt with these horses. Because I think if you had had a trainer that was like, chase him in the round pen and, you know, do all of the like really fast paced stuff and get to riding really, really soon and do all of these things and lots and lots of pressure on your horse with that much of a highly sensitive horse, I think you could have gotten into a little bit of trouble. (laughs) I feel Uh, like it too. I feel like it too. I think you're right on with that. The advice I had was perfect for me in that moment. The advice to get comfortable, like get trusting, get trusted, like be trusting so you can be trusted, be consistent. Don't don't lose your shit over things you don't need to, you know, and, and those, those lessons, they translate really well to the rest of life, you know, because you do have those people who require very small signals in order to get your point across. And you also have people who can't eat, can't pick up on those smaller signals and it's not, a better or worse thing. It's just that if you don't recognize it, you can go away feeling not heard at all just because you're not realizing that someone needs a bigger signal or a, a bigger uh, key, a bigger cue. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit more of your story with your two horses um, and specifically how they helped you overcome that fear. Um, Because you had talked about kind of that big first step of lots of walking um, and just paying attention to, to your own, um, your, yourself and your own fears and, and things. So Mm -hmm. what else through this journey has helped you with these two horses? Let's see. I think trusting the, trusting the honesty of the horse and being really clear with myself about not not being quite so goal-oriented when working with these horses has really, really helped 
um, help my fear level. Backing off from the belief that, well, you got to show them who's boss, right? Backing off from that and interacting in a way where I'm looking for signals that I can trust this horse and and acknowledging that the horse is looking for signals that they can trust me. And once we've built that, once we've walked through the scary auction with cows, with sheep, with whatever in hand, you know, once we've crossed all the scary, we've crossed the rivers, you know, we've crossed the streams, we've gone down the steep hills and being willing to get off when I'm scared and not view it as a defeat, being willing to get off when she's scared and not view it as a control issue. Um, those have helped my fear immensely. Acknowledging that sometimes the best way to get through a scary situation isn't to power through it. It's to lead by example. Um, for me with star, it was, it was water. It was water crossing. It was getting off and crossing the water and getting my feet wet and letting her follow me through the water, letting her watch me kick around in the water, <laughs> you know, and, and acknowledging that I'm not going to ask her to do something that would be too dangerous for me to do, you know, that, that we're doing things together that was a huge fear stopper letting go of the the need to have it look like i wanted it to look and letting how it does look feel successful that's key with fear too i mean getting across the stream a stream for us could have felt like a huge failure at first I had to get off. I had to walk through it first. I had to wait. I had to not pull. I had to do, you know, there, there are a lot of things that could have felt like a failure unless you look at them through the lens of, oh, okay, so she's not trusting me enough to do this task that I asked. She doesn't feel safe. Why? And and going through and thinking is, you know, does she not feel safe because I'm scared? If I'm scared because I'm on her back, because I think, ooh, I wonder if she's gonna go up in front if I go forward. Being willing to go with that fear and get off has been has been key. That the willingness to get off is what has enabled me to be able to stay on in the long run. And I Again, I'm not a professional horse trainer. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just know for that for me, with these particular animals, the willingness to get off when staying on feels like the only success was a huge lesson. It was a huge lesson. And my relationship with Jem is not a ridden one because she's a bucker and I can't ride a consistent, you know, minute 
bucking session. I don't trust myself to be able to stay on. <laughs> and I've seen her pile drive my son. <laughs> and I just, and, and she's the one in the field. I can say, hey, Jem. And she'll perk up. And I can say, hey, do you want love? And she'll come right over. And she'll, she's the one that if everyone's freaking out, I can say, Jim, knock it off or stop. It's okay. And she'll stop. And I never wanted a non-ridden relationship with a horse. I never thought I would be satisfied with, I mean, I've had her call, <laughs> called my, the like pasture ornament, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And while I appreciate riding so much, it's one of my top loves. I'm also, I've learned to appreciate her for what she is able to give. And I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever ride her. And I kind of don't care if I do or don't. I will likely keep moving in that direction just to see if it's possible because I have, again, I have this vision of what it could be like and it's different than what it is, but what it is, is pretty awesome. And so the, these two horses are, I have different relationships with them and they're both super special. They're both super sensitive, super responsive. They both trust me. And I still wrestle with a little fear with Jem. I do. And with her, it's not a fear of her temperament. It's, it's a, a physical fear with her that if I ride her, she'll reverse, like something will click into her where she'll feel scared and she'll buck and I'll go. And that is another thing with older horsemen, horsemanship. It just takes longer to heal. Like falling off is a bigger deal. You can tuck and roll and it still feels different. And that's something I think to keep in mind that I probably wouldn't, I don't know if I would recommend, I don't know if you know though, if you know if a horse is going to be rideable or not. All of our other horses are, right now we have seven and my son brought home two babies this last year. He works as a guide in Wyoming, he's a packer and they're, they're all beautiful and not so easy going, but very trusting and easy. And I'm, I'm good with riding most of them, but there's something, I don't know what's in Jem's history. I don't know if she just feels like she's not to be ridden. And just like there, just like there are some people who are not to be tamed, who will give you so much of their freedom, but not all of it. And she just may be that one. You know, she may be the one in a hundred who's willing to give you everything, but not that. You know, it's, and reconciling with that and making it feel not like a loss, but more like an opportunity. Because sometimes I view it as, like, what does she need? Like, what is she missing? 
Is there something I can be or do that would raise her trust level? And this has been going on for years with her. And I'm, I'm willing to say it and not have it feel like a failure because I've had successes in, in a lot of other ways with a lot of different animals. And I really feel like maybe one of her lessons for me is that there are some things that you can't tame. Or yeah. there's, there's some things that individuals are not willing to give. And it doesn't make them less. Yeah, they're all individuals, humans and yeah. horses, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And to yeah. answer your question that you said a bit ago of, you know, you said, I'm not a horse trainer and I don't know if this is the right thing to do to get off. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is um, good to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not every trainer will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of them yeah. will tell you the opposite. But in my opinion, as a trainer and a coach, it is that what you were doing there and what you were describing, that's exactly what Warwick Schiller teaches, which is attunement. Right. And not just attunement with your horse of letting your horse know that you understand they're struggling, that you see their concern, but also attunement with yourself as an individual mm -hmm. and knowing, oh, I'm feeling a little bit full of fear right now. Right. And you don't want to lead who wants to follow someone who's scared. Right. Nobody. I don't want to know that the person who's showing me how to do something is scared out of their gourd and is going to do it anyway. I want to know that this person says, wow, I'm actually kind of nervous about this. So let's reassess. I would trust someone so much more who said, who was able to say to themselves, you know, I'm going to reassess right now. Like that's a mark of trustworthiness to me that doesn't, that's incompatible with strictly goal and time frame oriented activities and, and trainings. I really, the reassessment, learning to, learning to re-gear my goals for the day, for the minute, for the second, when I go out and think sometimes, okay, my goal is to go on a great trail ride like that's a big goal and you reassess and act and work on these small goals the whole time not it's not I'm going to go on a great trail ride once you get on it's an all right I'm going to stand patiently while all these cars pass like those little mm -hmm. goals and reassessing and working smaller until you until you narrow it down to a chunk where that you can handle has been really important to me too. I love and, that. Well, chunking down, I'm going to ride this horse to this horse and I are going to walk, walk with matching steps like on this. And that's, it was my favorite thing before I even knew it was a thing because star, this horse is a step matching fool. She is so much fun. And I learned that with her, I'm, I'm a dancer at heart. I, I danced instead of rode horses and walking while growing up and walking with her and being able to stop and back up you know, the steps and stop and go sideways and having her be willing to follow me 
and then watching her take the lead and watching her notice that I would follow her was so much fun. The first time that happened, the first time she did something and I followed her and she would stop and look and do something else and I'd do it. And then she'd do something else and I'd do it and letting her lead the game. That was also kind of a game changer. Like seeing her notice that, oh, like we can play this game both ways. Like I'll do something and you can notice what I'm doing and follow. And then I would do something and she would notice what I'm doing and follow. And that built a connection that really, really was like a fear busting connection for me. I love that. I have a kind of a different question for you because everything Mm -hmm. that you're saying, right? Like getting off, walking your horse when you're scared or when your horse gets scared, taking that time to let the horse choose and let the horse lead the way. And um, some of that, like just it's okay if it takes a year or two, or if it never happens, like all of those ideas are very unconventional, right? Like we, we don't hear those very often in the horse world. Most of the time it's like, nope, you're going to make this horse do this. You're going to, you're going to get it done in 30 days. You're going to do all of this stuff. Right. And I'm curious if you have ever dealt with those voices, right? Um, so if you have any yeah. experiences of that, I would love to hear how you worked through that um, and balanced that out and kept that out of your role with your horses. It's a super delicate balance and I still cross the line and, you know, to be fully transparent. I still sometimes get frustrated and especially with Star, we've since we've had a, a long relationship and we trust each other. And sometimes I'll get thinking, oh, you're just being so stubborn. <laughs> you're just, just do it. And I have made her do things. I have given her a good hard, like to go into something that I knew we could both do. Right. But having the discernment to make that decision it's key. And I think that comes from time and experience because I am not willing to say that there's not a situation that exists that you shouldn't really push a horse to do because I think when you're confident, but it takes confidence in your relationship, right? It takes confidence in your abilities and confidence in your relationship, right? I, With Star, I have such confidence in our relationship that I can't feel, I feel like I can work her through some of her fear by letting her rest on the trust that I won't ask her to do something that will hurt her. But the discernment to figure out what those things are, that comes from time and relationship. There are things that I would ask and push star through that I wouldn't ask or dare push another horse that I didn't have that relationship through because I would be scared because I wouldn't know what the horse is capable of if the fear is genuine or if the fear is momentary 
Um, and so I don't think there's a hard line. I think you really have to judge that by your relationship with a particular animal. I, I wouldn't have known this before, but as a middle-aged horse person, I would highly recommend developing a relationship with a single animal as opposed to relying strictly on differing lesson horses and then purchasing a horse and expecting to be able to do on this horse what you did on the lesson horses. I really feel strongly about building that one-on-one -on -one relationship. I, uh, that enables me to assess my fears and stars fears and to know, to know what I can push her through that won't damage our relationship and what I can't. Because there are things that she's been nervous about doing that I've asked and asked and asked. And because I'm not nervous, because I have clear confidence that what I'm asking her is something new, but it's not too difficult. It's not out of the realm, you know, of the general realm of what we know. Um, I'm not asking her to jump on a boat, right? And, you know, there, and I, I think it's just figuring that out with your, with your relationship. And that to me is so individual. It's really so individual. Yeah. And I want really, yeah, really I wanted is. to be able to I wanted to be able to say, no, I would never push a horse to do something that they were pushing back at me for. And that's not necessarily true because I know I have pushed star to do things that she's not comfortable with, but only the things that I am not afraid of, because I find if I am not afraid, the reason I'm not afraid is because I trust my relationship with her. And the reason that I'm not afraid is that I have 100% confidence that she can do this. And so I'm willing to push. I love that. But is, so, is that in line with how you see things, Camry? I, I was really interested because I know that you have so much more training experience. I am horse trainer Camry Johnson, and I'm here to tell you about a product I'm crazy about, Grand Premium Plus from Grand Meadows. This is an all-in-one supplement that includes vitamins, minerals, joint support, hoof support, coat and skin support, digestive support with probiotics and postbiotics, and a huge array of amino acids. I've used this product with my personal horses for years now and have loved it so much that it's now a staple in my training program as well. Every horse in my care receives Grand Premium Plus daily. And the best part? I know that all my horses are getting the support they need from a company I trust without me having to spend an extra hour in my day mixing up 10 different products. And if your horse is needing extra targeted joint support, try out their revolutionary product, NanoFlex. It's a topical product that absorbs through the skin into the joint to provide the lubrication your horse's joints need. Visit grandmeadows.com today and use code CJOHN1. That's C-J-O-H-N-1 for a 10% discount. 
yeah. So I think it's perfect to be able to, it's like you said, have that discernment of when to know when you can push a horse and when, if you push them, they're going to and blow right. up, Right. Uh, which as a trainer, you know, that first probably two weeks of having a new horse, it is building that relationship. It is building that skill set, knowing exactly what skills they have, what personality type they have. Are they one to freeze? Are they one to bolt? Are they one to way overreact and rear and kick and buck? Mm-hmm. Um, and just learning all of those things. And that's why when I get a new horse, I never, even if it's a tune-up, I never get on them the first at least three days depending on the horse. If it's a really quiet, well-broke horse, you know, within a couple of days, I'm I'm on their back. But mm-hmm. with a lot of the colts that I get, it takes me a good two weeks, usually of groundwork before I get on just to build all of that, build proper carriage. I like to do a lot of work with them carrying themselves round and lifting their back. Um, and then everything from doing obstacles and desensitizing work and um, moving their hip, moving their shoulder, body control, so that by the time I get on, we have such a good relationship and such a good establishment of communication. So that when I ask something from their back, they're not going to be like, I have no idea what she wants <laughs> and completely right. blow. Um, but yeah, I think even as humans, um, if we only ever stay in our comfort zone, we're not going to grow and get better. So it's good that we push ourselves and it's good that we push our horses. We just don't want to push them so far that they blow up. <laughs> Cause like you right. said, you know, a thousand pounds, that's you, especially when you get older in years, but I mean, I'm 34 and I still don't want to come off. <laughs> it right. is not right. fun. Mm-mm. So it's, you just have to, you know, the more experience you get with multiple different horses, the quicker you can figure out that discernment. Um, but you know, if you only have had one or two horses, it might take you a little bit of time to decide, okay, when can I push them or when do I need to back off? And it's just something you play with. And if you overstep sometimes take note in the future, just make sure you stop one step sooner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can, I can completely see how that, how you would be able to build that more quickly as you learn to see the subtleties, right. And in, in the horse's reaction to things. And for me with star being my first horse, it took a long time. It took a long time. I knew the basics, tail swishing, not such a good thing. Ears back, not such a good thing, but I really didn't know. I had to learn the whole language and I'm so grateful that I took the time to learn it slowly and to learn the little nuances and to learn and to learn with humor and to learn with good humor and to to not view things coming at me from my horse as things coming at me from another human because I, I find, I don't know that I've run into a horse that is malicious. I've run into horses that are frightened enough to be dangerous. And I've run into horses that are so 
emotionally dysregulated that they're dangerous, but I've not run into a horse that's like you. I don't like you and I don't like you and I never will. And I never have, I haven't run into that. And I don't know that they don't exist because they probably do somewhere, but I haven't run into that. And over the course of the last 10 years, I'm trying to think Allison and I have gentle and trained. We've been working mostly with Mustangs lately and it's been really fun. So we've gentled and trained four of them to be really solid, solid, multiple rider, easygoing rides. And it's, it's like one of my proudest things <laughs> because those horses are coming from one big wham, bang, trauma, change, and, and working with that and watching them learn to communicate in a different way, in a way that, that involves humans, you know, that, that they haven't, you know, coming off, off the range has been a big change also because the Arabians that I have were raised by humans, you know, raised in captivity, not really not really worked with, but they're familiar with humans. They're familiar with fences. They're familiar with things that you might expect even an untrained horse to be familiar with. And the Mustangs are not. They're, they're just unfamiliar. And as horses were with me, unfamiliar, that carries a certain level of fear with it. And having felt that fear myself, I... I have a real empathy toward these animals, toward the Mustangs in particular. And my experience of them is they tend to be very, not necessarily serious, but, but very survival and job oriented and, and working with them and letting them come out of their shell and communicate with you as a, I'm trying to think of what I want to say. It's like an interspecies relationship that they may have not had. Like, it's pretty cool. It's really, really, really rewarding. Yeah, it's that was one of the reasons I got into horse training is it's just so fun to be able to communicate with an animal that you don't speak each other's languages and right. to be able to establish right. this common ground relationship and communicate in, a, in an effective way. So it's it's definitely rewarding. Oh, it's huge. And it's a transferable skill, right? When you, when you know that that kind of a relationship is possible with a horse, then you know that that kind of, that envisioning other living things as sentient beings with fears and desires and hopes, and it just adds a new little sparkle to seeing everything. You know, it's, it adds a new layer of awesomeness to the world, I think, when we have those interspecies connections. I guess I keep wanting to say relationships, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they're just connections. You know, sometimes you can stop and see a wild animal, you know, and you lock eyes for 
half a second and you can get each other for half that second. You can feel seen and so can they. And that, that again is, I call that magic. Like being able to, to let another species feel seen, even if it's just momentarily, it feels good. It satisfies something in us that I think gets lost in a fast paced urban world. And it, it adds a depth to your life relating to other to other animals. I was going to say to animals like that, but we too are animals and relating to other animals like that really, it really adds, adds a connection that I think carries through into how we act in the world, how we walk through the world. Yeah. So I know we're going a little bit long and, but I do have another question if you have time, Libby. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really want to know how your journey as a mother has kind of progressed through your horsemanship as well. So what's it been like being a mom through all of this? Well, it's really, really, it's affected my motherhood for sure. Um, showing up as Oh, go ahead. I I was just going to ask, can you let us know how old are your kids? Yes. So I have two like wild and wonderful boys. They're 20 years old and 17. One, the 17 year old, he just joined the guard, the national guard. He's wanted to be a soldier ever since he knew what a soldier was. And that in and of itself holds a big wad of fear for me. And and I, I love that he's doing what his five-year-old self would be so proud of. And my 20-year-old also wanted to be a cowboy every Halloween. What are you going to be? A cowboy. What do you want to be? A cowboy. And he is a horse training, horse riding, wonderful cowboy. So raising these two... Um, I have learned through horse horsemanship, I guess, horsewomanship, that in order to get a result, in order to have a trusting relationship with another being, another human, another very dependent human for a while, you have to be trustworthy. You have to show up in the moment. You have to be willing to address what's going on for that other person, you know, for that other little person that you're responsible for. And learning to do that with a horse has really helped me see that a lot of, a lot of behavior that I maybe would have viewed as just quit it, just stop, just, you know, whatever you're doing, just don't. And that those behaviors can come from a place where I was able to easily acknowledge them in the horse. Well, the horse is probably scared. The horse probably doesn't trust our relationship. The horse probably doesn't trust that I know what I'm doing. And when, when I apply those same criteria kind of to my relationship with my sons, I find that we are both a lot less frustrated 
and I'm a better parent when I show up with less of a specific agenda and more of a, well, you know, our ultimate goal is a well-balanced, independent human being, right? But again, I need to chunk that down to what's behind the behavior that's either bugging him or me. And it usually boils down to not trusting a relationship, just like it does with horses, just like it does with a spouse, just like it does with some friends, you know, that either I have been unwilling to say, look, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but here's my best advice. Like act, not acting like I know, not acting like I have the final answer, but being willing to explore the possibilities that's changed my parenting. Um, not being so outcome, not feeling either victorious or defeated, you know, because of a, because a certain outcome happens or doesn't happen, but looking for maybe what's behind that, that we can make better next time. On Wimbledon on center court, they have part of Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, which is one of the most wonderful poems ever written. I just, it's a poem of my heart, but they have a quote that says, if you can meet with victory and defeat and treat those two imposters just the same. And it's so true. It's so true. Those are moments. They're not defining moments. They're moments like any other moment. One feels great. One feels not so great. And neither one defines. You're not a winner or a loser because you experience victory or defeat. You've had the experience. You're a human who's had the experience of victory or defeat. And that's come, that's come from my dad. He's lost many more matches than he's ever won. And he's neither a winner nor a loser. He's a competitor. He's in the arena. He's doing it. You know, and that that's what I saw growing up is not letting victory or defeat define you. I've seen him lose important matches and give me as big a hug and as big a smile and had a, as great a dinner after as I have when he's won important matches. There, I, I've not... I've not seen anyone less affected by victory and defeat. And having, having that an, as an example has really, it's colored the way I live. It's colored how I view, um, I want to say successes and failures, but it's colored how I view different outcomes, right? As, as momentary outcomes rather than, well, now I'm a loser today. Or, yay, I won the day, right? I'm a winner now. <laughs> and we're actually a human who had a winning experience, right? We're not, and we're a human who had a losing experience. And it's looking at things through that lens has really helped me with both, both horse, horsemanship and parenting. I love that idea of those two experiences just being experiences and not who yeah. we are. Because when we define those, 
we show up in different ways, right? But if we can just let those be, then we can show up more authentically ourselves, I feel like. Right. I do too. I do too. And that was, that poem has been in my life, those lines, treating victory and defeat as imposters. Those have been in my life ever since I could listen and pay attention because they're on Wimbledon center court, like they're, they're here. And that view has really, it's really helped me. It's helped me enjoy the wins. It's helped me weather the losses and it's also helped me develop a sense of self that's not dependent on the win. It's not crushed by the loss. The losses hurt. They always hurt. And it doesn't mean you're a loser. It's a painful loss. You're experiencing a painful loss. And that's been life-saving for me. And not, not acting as if a win makes you better. It's a wonderful win. You're a person experiencing this awesome win and it doesn't make you better than the person who just experienced a devastating defeat. It's you're this, the same quality of person <laughs> with, with differing experiences in the moment. And that's really, that's been a life lesson that has served me well and probably one of the most important ones that I've learned. Yeah. Especially coming from, as you were describing, literally shaking in fear with that horse, you know, and fearing failing yourself and failing this horse and this, this huge fear of being seen as a loser or seen as ridiculous. Right. And now coming mm -hmm here to the end, well, not the end, to this part of the journey where you are not letting that define you. You're just letting it be part of your journey. And I love that. I do too. And I wish that for everyone, like if I could think of what would you tell the midlife horse person? Like what would, what would I tell the 50 year old woman who says, I really want to try that. And you know what I'm afraid of? The, I told you so you messed it all up. You failed. See, you can't even ride the thing. You probably shouldn't have tried. And being willing to separate yourself from the wins and losses of the day and being willing to see those as not reflections of your value, but as cues to your behavior, like as cues to what you might try. Those that's my most important bit of advice really is to go slow, to go slow, to build the relationship, to not let the failures trip you up, to not let the fact that you're the oldest person in the arena trip you up like to not let the fact that, Oh my gosh, aren't you afraid you're going to break your hip? Don't let it trip you up. <laughs> Allison and I laugh so hard about things like that because we're like, you know what? We're the oldest people here. <laughs> and and we we get that a lot these days. And and in a weird way, it feels good. In a weird way, it feels like, okay, and that's okay. And maybe that gives somebody else permission to pick up 
something that feels big and scary, but feel, but you really want to do it. The, the desire is huge. Getting, letting yourself be fueled by desire and not be hung up by the stumbling blocks that you'll inevitably hit. I mean, I, I had days with star of just, you know, I'd, I'd come back and just cry for a minute because we were supposed to be so much further along, <laughs> you know, and, and then go out the next day and realize that actually we had a really solid relationship and what I had experienced was a bad day. Right. And to, to, not let that wave of up and down dictate your decision-making, but to just ride it and have it and acknowledge as part of the process. Amen to that. It's been so awesome having you here, Libby. Thank you so much for coming on today. Well, I am really grateful for the opportunity. I love what you two are doing. The connection you have with each other is amazing. And I'm grateful to be a part of it for a minute. It's been so amazing to to hear your story and to listen to you share it. Um, there's so much just gold nuggets that you shared today that I'm like, oh my gosh, let's split this up and just like <laughs> put them into different quote boxes because okay. you definitely shared a lot of wisdom and I really appreciate all of that. Um, I know we didn't really have time to get into what you do business-wise, but do you want to just give us a quick summary and how people can find you and work with you and learn from you? Sure. I, how I'm loving interacting with people is on these equine glamping retreats and I'm on Facebook. It's the cowgirl secret. And that's probably the best way to connect with me. And I would love to visit or talk with anyone about midlife horsemanship, um, horsewomanship really. That's where my, that's where my love lies. <laughs> well, but I think that's one the right podcast then. <laughs> I think so too. That's why, that's one reason why I'm thrilled to be here is I feel like it's a group of kindred spirits and that's how people can get in touch with me. I would love to visit with anyone about anything horse related. Well, maybe anything, but <laughs> horse related. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yeah. thank you so much. We will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.